This series we have been in, it's been asking a very fundamental question. It's the question, why? Why does Mount Airy exist? Why are we in this community? And we've been telling you every week uh, that we have a mission. And here's what it is. See if you can help me with this. We exist to help others. You guys are so much better than that first crowd. I had one person in the first crowd, so thank you for... Let's try to all set together, and here's what it is. I'll say it, then you can repeat it. We exist to help others to become fully devoted followers of Christ. or fully devoted followers of Jesus. So let's try it together. We exist to help others to become fully devoted followers of Jesus or Christ, whichever one you want to say. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. So we've been asking, well, what does that look like? Practically speaking, how can our church help you and others become fully devoted followers of of Jesus. And so we've summarized our process into four words, gather, connect, serve, and go. And each week we've talked about one of those words, and we said, well, why do we gather? And we talked in the very first message that it's essential to gather so that we can worship the Lord and so that we can encourage one another. We told you that a Christian in isolation is a Christian in trouble. It's important that we gather with God's people because you need them and they need you. And then we ask the question, well, why connect? We connect because life change happens in the context of a small group. There there is a relational component to spiritual growth. Life change happens in that small group setting. That's why a church must grow larger and smaller at the same time. And then the the, the message last time was this, why serve? We serve because the Bible says that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And we believe fully devoted followers of Christ will do what He did, that we will serve like He served. And now today in this last message, we're going to ask this question, why go? Here's the short answer. We need to care about what God cares about most. And the thing that God cares about more than anything else is people. Your friends, your neighbors, your family members and co-workers, even the people on the other side of the world in other nations, God cares about people who don't know Jesus. So our lives are to be committed to what He's committed to. Now, I don't know about you, but have you noticed how quickly life is changing in our world? Would you agree with this, that the way our world operates today is far different from the way it operated 10 years ago? I mean, today, for example, uh, if some of you could do this, not all of you, uh, I certainly can't, but if you watch television, you know this is at least a a possibility. You can ask Alexa to do just about anything today. Alexa, order me some toothpaste. Alexa, play Rocky Top. I wonder if you get that. Alexa, turn it up. (laughs) You know, I'm waiting until Alexa can write a sermon, then I'm going to order me one of those things. Alexa, write a sermon for Sunday. It's just amazing, the, the, the electronics that we have today and what they, they can do. You can take your phone, and you know this as well as I do. With today's applications and today's phone, you can deposit your check using your phone. You can pay bills using your phone. You can tell your phone, Siri, how do I find my way to so-and-so? And Siri will tell you how to get there. It's amazing. Here's what I have found, though, ladies and gentlemen. See if you agree with this. As much as the world has changed, in many ways it's still the same. Because people still need to hear the truth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior of the world. 
No matter how the world changes, people still need to hear the truth of the hope of the gospel message. And the church is still called, no matter how the world changes, the church is still called to go and take the message to those who have yet to hear it. However, when you look at recent studies, it shows that maybe we're not doing exactly what we should. A recent LifeWay study a research study found that 80% of churchgoers say that it is their personal responsibility to share their faith. 80% said it's their personal responsibility to share their faith. But 61% said that they hadn't shared their faith with anyone in the last six months. In other words, while a majority believes it's their duty to go and share their faith, most never do. Now, how about you? Here's the question. Are you doing anything about the lostness around you? Are you doing anything about the lostness around you? You know what I found? I found that it's awful easy to get off mission. I mean, it's real easy to get off mission, individually, personally, as well as a church. It's very easy if we're not careful, unless we're very deliberate, unless we're very intentional, it's very easy to get off mission. That's why I'm so amazed by something that I read in Acts chapter 5. I want you to take your Bibles. I want to show you a verse that We've already read in this series, and we're going to go back to it again. I've read it several times this month as we've gone through this series, as, as I've studied, and it really is one of those verses that just kind of fascinate me uh, in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 5. It's not going to be our main text, but it's going to be our starting point. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Here's what we read. Day after day, in the temple courts... And from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Now, there's a couple of things that I've underlined that you might, might want to underline in your Bible. First of all, the phrase, day after day. Day after day. Not, not just sporadically, not just occasionally, not just every once in a while, not just when it was convenient, but day after day. And then another phrase that I've underlined is, they never stopped. That's what fascinates me as a pastor of a church. This is what fascinates me about this, this church. They never stop, the Bible says, teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And so as I've looked at that verse, I've asked the question over and over, what drove the New Testament church into the streets every day? What caused them to share Christ in the temple courts and from house to house? What was it that motivated them? That, what was it that made them so passionate that they never stopped? What was it that had them so passionate that they didn't get off mission? How is it that day after day they continued to share Jesus Christ? What drove the New Testament church into the streets? Well, I'm going to suggest to you there's two things. Two things that made the difference for them and can make the difference for us. The first one is this. The first thing that made the difference for them and can make a difference for us is the command of the Lord. Now, this is in Acts chapter 5. If you want to find out why they were doing this day after day, if you want to find out why they never stopped, you just need to go back in the book of Acts towards the front. And so we go to Acts chapter 1, to very familiar passages of Scripture, but really is foundational to what caused them to keep going like they did. So Acts chapter 1, very familiar Scripture. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We read this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now here's a very basic question. How do you suppose they were going to get there? 
How do you suppose they were going to get to Jerusalem? They're already in Jerusalem. How are they going to get to Judea? How are they going to get to Samaria? How, how are they going to get to the ends of the earth? Of course, a very simple answer is this. They were going to have to go. In other words, you can't stay in the temple and reach those who are far from God. You can't stay in Jerusalem and reach all of those who are far from God. So day after day, the reason that they went, the reason that they never stopped was because they had the command of the Lord. And the command of the Lord was, don't stay in the temple, but go to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, this was not the first time that they were commanded to go. This is really good. I want you to go to the book of Luke chapter 10. I'm just going to have time to read some of these passages. Go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out, or sent them two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And verse 3 begins with this word. Go. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So they have the command of the Lord, not just in Acts chapter 1, but they had heard that message before, hadn't they? They had heard before, previously, this command that you need to leave where you are and go and take the gospel to where it's not yet been. But again, this was not the first time they've heard this. Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 21. I should say this was not the last time they heard this. John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am what, church? I'm doing what? I'm sending you. Again, the command of the Lord, the command is to go. And then, if you go to Matthew 28, you find that other very familiar scripture that as Jesus was leaving, his last words to the apostles were these. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, throughout the book of Acts, you'll see people obeying the command of God by going somewhere with the gospel. Again and again, you see the disciples obeying the command of the Lord. Because they had heard him say it over and over and over and over. I want you to go. You can't stay in the temple. You've got to go. Take the gospel where it's needed most. And so let me show you an example of that now back in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Verse 26. Now, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chair reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit told Philip, Go. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot 
and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? And here's what he said. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, we'll come back to that passage in a moment. Here's what I want you to understand. Evangelism doesn't just happen. Most of the time, it happens as the result of intentionality. People who know Christ intentionally connect with people who don't. Hear this. People who know Christ intentionally connecting with people who don't. That's what you see in Acts, isn't it? Now, why were, the, why were they doing that? Why were they going? Because they had the command of the Lord. You see, the church is not, watch this, everybody listen. The church is not a place you go to, the church is a place you go from. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you'll be my witnesses and you start right here where you are, in Jerusalem. But I don't want you to stay at the temple. I want you to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth because church is not something you go to, it's something you go from. And we go because of the command of the Lord. But we, there's a second reason we go. And it's found in the book of Acts and the story of Acts. The second reason we go is not just because of the command of the Lord, but the second reason we go is because of the condition of the lost. The condition of the lost. I, I want to show you something that, we started out there in Acts chapter 1, uh, Acts 1 8. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, I'll give you the context of what we're about to read. Uh, we've referred to it earlier in this series, but in verses 1 through 11, it's the story of Pentecost, where the, the promised Holy Spirit came to live in the believers. It was a move of God, unlike anything in history. God was empowering his people to do the staggering task he had given them in Acts 1 8. So think of Pentecost that way. Pentecost is the, the Holy Spirit come to live within His people, so God was empowering His people to do what He had commissioned them to do in chapter 1. So that's what Pentecost was, the Holy Spirit coming to live within His people. Now, those who were not followers of Christ did not understand what was happening. It was a strange thing for them to watch. As you can imagine, I'm sure it would be. So we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, talking about those who are not Christ followers, those who were watching everything that was happening. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? They didn't understand it. Some, verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They're drunk. That's, that's what's happening. So in verse 14, Peter stood up to address the crowd. And before we look at what he said, I want to ask you something. I want to ask you a question. Do you remember when you were young, do you, did you ever take those, those uh, connect-the-dot drawings and, and do those? You know what I'm talking about? It's just a page full of dots, and it's got little numbers on it. And when you look at the page, it doesn't make sense. You're not sure what it is. It's just a bunch of dots. I used to love to play with those when I was young and you know, you couldn't figure it out, but you'd start at one and draw a line to two and then draw a line to three and draw a line to four. And you keep drawing or connecting the dots and eventually the picture begins to emerge. Eventually you begin to understand what you couldn't understand. Eventually you begin to see what you could not see previously. That's what Peter is doing in this message we're about to read. 
Peter is simply connecting the dots for the people. These people who looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and they said, what does this mean? They didn't understand. And so Peter is going to connect the dots for them. Now, I want to remind you something before we look at the sermon. He was talking to people in Jerusalem. The very city where Jesus had been crucified. The very place where also Jesus had been resurrected. So he was talking to people who were familiar with what had happened in previous days regarding Jesus. He was talking to people who likely had seen Jesus. Talking to people who likely had heard about Jesus. But listen to this. But they still did not get it. They still didn't understand who he was. They still did not understand the hope and the good news of the gospel. And so Peter is addressing this crowd of confused onlookers and he begins to connect the dots for them. Let's look and see what he says. Watch how he connects the dots for the people. Beginning in verse 14. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, that is the confused crowd, Here's what he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. For crying out loud, it's just nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Now let me tell you what's really happening. Verse 16, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so here's what Peter's going to do. He's going to point back to the Old Testament. So let, let me try to help you understand this. Let me give you a context for what, what is happening here. And so he begins to talk to them about the book of Joel and the prophet Joel, and they would understand that. And, and so it sa- he says in verse 17, In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and on signs of the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, people of, uh, before the coming of the great Lord and the glorious day of the Lord. Verse 21, key verse. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Connect the dots. Oh. So that's what Joel was talking about. Okay. He continues, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So now he's not talking about Joel. Now he's starting to talk about Jesus. Trying to explain to them who Jesus is. And he says, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Oh, connect the dots. That's who Jesus was. And we did what to him? Keep reading the sermon. Verse 25. So now he goes back to David. Goes back to the Old Testament to David in verse 25. David said about him, about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. 
I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Oh, yeah, I know what, I know David and connect the dots. Verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. And they were like, yeah. Yeah, I know where his tomb is. Yeah, I've been to his tomb before. I put a rock on his tomb as the common custom was. Verse 30. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on earth, on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, has poured out what you now see and hear. Connect the dots. Verse 34. For David did not ascend to heaven as... And yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Connect the dots. And all of a sudden they begin to see what they had not seen before. All of a sudden, the picture began to become more clearer to them. And the reason we know that is because in verse 37, look what happens. In verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And this is where we began to get an understanding of the spiritual condition of the people. From verse 37 on, if you start looking and digging into what they were saying, from verse 37 on, you begin to really get a snapshot of the spiritual condition of these people as well as everyone who does not know the Lord. And the first snapshot is this. What did they say? They said, brothers, what shall we do? In other words, they were unaware of how to be made right with God. What shall we do? They didn't know. They were living in Jerusalem. In the time of Jesus, when he was crucified and resurrected, Peter was standing there telling them the good news, and their response was, what shall we do? Because they didn't know. You know anybody like that? You know anybody like that who they just can't figure it out? You know why? The Bible says that the little g God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe and so Satan will do everything he can. The devil will do everything he can to keep you from understanding, to keep you from knowing. And You see, this is not something that you can rationalize and reason. It, it comes really by revelation. And so they said, well, what do we do? Here's the spiritual condition of people who are lost without Christ. First of all, they don't know how to be made right with God. Look at verse 38. Peter replied, repent. You know what that word signifies? The people he, were ta- he was talking to, they were living in rebellion against God and they needed to repent. That's the spiritual condition of the people. They were living in rebellion against God. They, they needed to repent. Do you know anybody like that? 
You know anybody that's living in rebellion against God? They're, they've not submitted their heart and their life to Christ. They're, they're living in rebellion against God. And then you look in verse 38 again. You'll see another picture of the spiritual condition of these people. Here's what he said. Verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, they were living up until this point without the forgiveness that could be theirs. They were living in their sin. They were living without the forgiveness of sin. Know anybody like that? Maybe it's you. Maybe you've spent your entire life searching for forgiveness but not finding it. So these people were living without the forgiveness of their sins. Look at verse 38 again. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were living without God in their life. Another glimpse into the spiritual condition of these people. They were living without God in their life. But he says, if you trust Christ, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and God will come to live within you. And then verse 39, a very picturesque verse. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are what, church? All who are what? Far off. The people he was talking to were far off from God. Do you know anybody like that? Isn't that a perfect description of anyone who does not have a relationship with Christ? They are far off from God. Now don't miss the passion in verse 40. With many other words, this is not all that Peter said, what we've read. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. And here's what he said. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Why was Peter so concerned? I believe it's because he understood the spiritual condition of the people he was talking to. He understood because he once lived that way himself. And then the day came when he met Christ and his life was forever changed. And when Peter looked at the crowd, he looked at people who were living without hope, living without God, and he knew he had the answer they needed. You see, the thing that gave him passion, the thing that caused him to go, the thing that propelled him to go was the command of the Lord, yes, but also it's the condition of the lost. And Peter knew he had the word that they needed. Hear me, church. And I hope somebody will put an amen here because your pastor needs to know that you believe this. We don't share Christ to be nice, and we don't share Christ in order to get more people into the building. We share Christ because we understand the spiritual condition of the lost. That's why we go. That's why we share. The command of the Lord and the condition of the lost. And we need a new realization that God has put the answer in our hands. You see, if you know Jesus and you know some people who don't, If you know Jesus and you know some people who don't, guess what? You might be His plan to reach them. You may be their best chance at heaven. Do you know what will put passion in your heart? I think it's the real, it could be the realization of what will happen if you don't go. What will happen if you don't share. So I just want to get real simplistic with you for a moment. Just very, very simplistic. I want to tell you something about everybody that you know. I mean everybody that you know who does not know Christ. I want to get very simplistic. 
Number one, every person is either lost or saved. Every person. There is no third category. There's no category of almost there. Every person is either lost or saved. Second thing I know is this. Every person is going to heaven or hell. And there's no third category. There's no, you know, purgatory, let's try to get better and get out of here. There's every person is going to heaven or hell. The third thing I know is this. Every person deserves a chance to go to heaven. Every person deserves that chance. And that's why we go. That's why we go to our neighbors. That's why we go to the nations. Because every person deserves the chance to go to heaven. You see, lost people don't understand who Jesus is. You don't get this by osmosis. I wish you could. They don't understand the gospel. But every time that you go, every time that I go, whether it's to our neighbors or to the nations, every time that you go, even if they don't trust Christ that particular day, you're helping them connect the dots to better understand who Jesus is. You're helping them to better understand and get a picture of who Jesus is. Every time you go, you're connecting the dots about the gospel. Now, I want you to look at this, this scripture, the last scripture in Acts chapter 8. Dennis, would you go out there and take care of that for me, please? Acts chapter 8, verse 26. This will be our last scripture. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We were there. We're going to close with this scripture. Here's what we find. Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he asked, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer was silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his, his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, I love this, verse 34. Tell me, please, tell me, because I can't get this. I can't understand it. Tell me. Who is the prophet talking about? Himself? Or someone else. I don't understand. Please help me to understand. Connect the dots for me. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture that he could not understand. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That is why we go. Because people all over the world are trying to connect the dots and understand who Jesus is. Let me pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I have this, this conviction, ladies and gentlemen, every head bowed, every eye closed. I have this conviction that everybody deserves to have a day like the Ethiopian man had. Everybody deserves to have a day when somebody comes to them. Everybody deserves to have a day when they hear the gospel clearly. Everybody deserves to have a day when they understand God's grace. So we go so that others can have a day like that. We go because if we don't, it will be another day they're spending without Christ on the edge of eternity. We go because we have the truth this world so desperately needs. See, God is ascending God. He sent His Son. He sent His Spirit. And He sends us with good news.
you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope that today God has connected the dots for you. I hope that today you'll decide to follow Jesus. And if you'd like to talk to me about that, I'll be down front to help you with that. Maybe others will come today and say, I- I'm just committing myself. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Father, in the name of Jesus, may you be honored and may you be glorified. And may lives be changed as we go. Amen.